This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. And we are live. We are live. Hello to Michael Leventhal. Hello. Hello, Mel. And uh, it's wonderful to have you on the show. I've been looking for you for years. Uh, You are the chief bean, um, publisher, editor, author, um, and most other things of a wonderful independent publisher in the UK known as Green Bean Books. And, and welcome to the show. And before I forget, I'm Mel Rosenberg. I know that. I am the uh, host of the Children's Literature Channel of the New Books Network. And I love to interview publishers. Michael, welcome to the show. I love being called a chief bean, but genuinely, you're the first person that has that has used that phrase. I love that. I should change my business card to say chief bean. Thank you. I, I might I, use I, that. Yeah, C- CBO, chief bean officer. Um, so, so welcome. So, so Michael, here's the thing. You know, a, a guy goes into a pickle store, right? And the pickles, you know, the, the salty pickles are too salty, and the vinegar pickles are too vinegary. Um, He's not going to set up a pickle factory. You set up a pickle factory. T- tell us about green bean. I think it comes from the fact that I'm too naive, or I was too naive, or I am too naive. I, it's it. I've been well. You you know I've been I've been I've been publishing books, not children's, but I've been publishing books for more than twenty years. How many years? For twenty, for almost twenty five years now. So you've been, you've been making you've been making cucumbers, I and now you're making pickles. Because I dumbly thought it was easy, I thought, look, I, look, I, look, I'm, I'm, look, I've, I've got my, uh, my average book is a hundred thousand word history book without many illustrations. I thought because I was an idiot, I thought, how hard can it be? A hundred thousand words? How hard can it be if you're doing a children's book that you know most illustrated books are less than a thousand words how hard can it be a thousand words i've i've done books that are like three volumes that are four hundred eighty thousand words i dumbly thought a thousand words hey like what is it it's words i've done that i can do this i like i realize now what a fool i was because the difference is that every single word in an illustrated children's book matters. The sound of it matters, the font of it matters, the position on the page, the artwork. So my God, it's been much, much harder, but I idiotically thought 25 years, this will be easy, falling off a log. 
Yeah. So I, you know, a, a pickle is not a cucumber. It's, uh, it's not. And and I often when people send me manuscripts that are that are about I don't know how to manufacture cars and they might be the best books and I say look that's fabulous but it's not I can't do it in the same way that my butcher isn't going to start selling figs then so yes yeah, you, you you had a great family business publishing history books and maritime books a few a few words about that and why you uh, left it all why well I haven't left it all Mel I that's why I mean I I was a, a journalist um for about 10 years and then I had a very easy job interview um, with my father on Friday night. This is, I'm not exaggerating, Mel, I, I put my CV, do you use the, my resume? I put my CV yeah. in an envelope um, addressed to my dad and his human resources department. And he said, Friday night dinner, he said, watch this. And I said, well, I'm, I'm applying for a job with you. So that, it, it was the easiest interview I've ever had. Um, I started working with my dad um, about 25 years ago. Um, and he is what 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 he knows about relative to him, you can fit what I know about publishing on the back of a postage stamp because he's been in the business a very, very long time. He started the London Book Fair. What he doesn't know about publishing isn't worth knowing. But there was one th there was one thing he was wrong on. Well, one about. second. Is is he well? He's well. I mean, he's he still um, understands the business better than most go, people. Go, go get him. I should be interviewing him. He's next next time. Next time you can. He's not. He's not here. But next time you can. Uh, you'll speak to him. You'll learn okay. far more from him than me. Okay, keep going. And and I said I said to him, after twenty five years, that's a lot of books on Napoleon. Mussolini, Stalin, Lawrence. I've done a lot of, I, I mean, you can, you can see them behind me here. I've done a lot of those. And, and I said, look, I think there's this Jewish children's niche. And um, my dad thought it was an absolutely dreadful idea. And, and I'm delighted that finally he was wrong about something. Finally, he was wrong. Uh, he was wrong. He he was wrong that it was a dreadful idea because I I, I I'm I'm guessing that you had a, a few Jewish children of your own and yeah, you took I, them to bookstores and you couldn't find them the right books and you said okay I'll make my own pickle factory I know how to make books I, it, it, as it happens pickles is the name of a character in a book that is coming out shortly so I keep thinking about he's he's a gerbil called pickles but that's another literally another story yeah I look I. I'm 50 and I didn't look at children's books for 40 years because why it would be weird in a way like why would I I didn't work on them I didn't have any relatives that so I didn't look at them when I became you know a proud father we were getting you know we've got a house packed with books we were getting lots of Jewish children lots of books lots of children's books and when I looked at the Jewish children's books relative to the general books there are there are some fantastic ones out there there are some classic jewish children's books but a lot of them are pretty bad in my in my opinion and you know the books that that you and your family will love won't necessarily be the books that me and my family you know everyone different tastes in in food in art in everything but i didn't think that the children's books that I could get in English here 
were good enough. The majority in English come from North America. The North American outlook, the North American sensibilities are different to the British Jewish sensibilities. So, yeah, again, I, I think- what, what, Michael, let's make that a general statement. You know, when I go to the UK, I spend a lot of time in Waterstones. And the whole, the whole children's literature scene in the UK is different. So, you know, the Jewish scene is, is part of this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I always find it surprising that some of the most brilliant books that are that every family in London will have, they're not known in the States. And similarly, I get tips from friends in the States about what do you mean you've never heard? This is a like everyone has got this book. They're different, they're different worlds. Yeah, can, can you give some examples? One example. Um, the Giving Tree was a book that I had never heard of um, until probably seven or eight years ago. I, I mean, I think it is, I'm not even sure if it's sold here and is in print here or not. I think I got a secondhand copy, but I, I, you tell me, am I right in saying that that's a book that in the States, everyone knows? Yeah, I, I, I certainly didn't have it when I was a child. Um, I hadn't seen it till probably seven years ago. And, and here I would say, I think I mentioned to someone, um, the tiger who came to tea and, and they didn't, I was astonished. They hadn't heard of it. It sold, it has sold more than a million copies. It's in yeah. 20 languages, but someone in the States had never heard of it. it there's a real cultural divide, um, but uh, we can talk about that another time. So um, you um, started a children's, literature publishing house uh, yeah i had a um uh, a, an idea that um there must be so many british or european jewish writers and illustrators and wouldn't it be wonderful to be publishing some of their work and and it was it would kind of equal the balance that it wouldn't all be coming things coming from north america and then i realized i had absolutely zero idea how to commission an artist or an author like I, it, 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 I had no way of doing it um I know how to commission military history books on the eastern front and gladiators and the battle of the Aisne and, and also because I know that world and I know you, you, you needed to hire some Prussian illustrators you failed <laughs> to illustrate this book I, I thought it, I, I, I genuinely had no idea how unbelievably time consuming it would be and how many vital skills and connections I didn't have. So I, so in fact, I started, the, the, the thing started uh, by accident. I was in Israel with my wife and, and kids. Um, I, yeah, I think the, they were both there at the time. We were just very, very, I, I'm not, exaggerating in fact it happened to be tel aviv book week we happened to go to a stall i happened to talk to a woman who actually was the publisher and author and i said hey do you have any books on passover and she said well yeah here's one i i wrote it and i thought yes this is it was illustrated by this amazing um, woman carmel benami and that became the first book that I published it was but, but, but not written by a, a uh, an Englishman or an English woman no because, an English English person because when I started out I realized eventually that 
it is much, 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 much easier and quicker and also cheaper to take what already exists and translate it and publish in English because the time involved for, well, in booking an illustrator and in commissioning an illustration, a series of illustrations, I mean, that's, you're talking about a year of time. And it was, again, it, it really was just happy accidents. I realized that there are so many brilliant illustrators in Israel. It has one of the best children's book illustration scenes in the world. And you have, I mean, to, to your, to, you know, to people that are following email, um, David Polonsky is possibly the only Israeli illustrator that they would know because he did uh, the Anne Frank diary, he did Waltz with Bashir, uh, he's done some other, you know, incredible films as well. But the second book I did was his book, The Heart-Shaped Leaf. This was published in Hebrew 15 years ago and had never been translated into English before. So you've got this, you know, I, I really was just the bridge between the fact that I didn't think there were enough brilliant Jewish children's books. You've got so many in Israel to choose from, so many brilliant, genuinely brilliant illustrators. Fine, so I'm just connecting the dots. Wonderful. So, uh, so up until now, I'm not gonna argue with you, but I'm not gonna name Israeli illustrators because I'm gonna get into trouble. Okay. Um, but uh, it's a good time to congratulate Dorit Magia on her new book. She illustrated my book, so. Oops, I just mentioned the illustrations somebody. are fantastic in that. Yes, thank you. So, but this is this is not about me uh, or Ori. Uh, but we have fantastic illustrators, and some of them have crossed the seas. And I hope that uh, I'll be able to introduce you to more the next time we actually meet. Um, and uh, that it's very exciting to hear this. So up until now, how many how many picture books have you done? I've done Green Bean has done about thirty, and I started out doing a couple a year. That became five or six a year, and it, originally, as I said, it was all translations. Um, now I'm commissioning Israeli, well, not just Israeli. I'm commissioning illustrators um, to take on manuscripts um, that I've signed up. So there's still there's a balance. I'm still doing the translations. I'm doing brand new writers. I'm do, um, so it, it's it's changed a little. But as I, I mean, really, there are so many brilliant books. So, 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 so one second. So, so right now, because I have an audience of authors and illustrators, um, so you're always looking for illustrators. You're always Correct. happy to have an illustrator send you a, uh, a pitch. And um, are you looking for authors? Both. I'm like, um, and I, I will tell you two things on that. Um, one is that I'm still only doing about 10 books every year. And a few of those are translations. A few of those are mid-grade books that have no illustrations. So it's really only kind of one or two books that that I'm that I get illust that I'm finding new illust that I'm finding illustrators for. But um I, I I can waffle on, but 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 on a on a separate point. Um, someone asked me not long ago what I was looking for, and and I I didn't really know how to answer the question, but I described it as as what I do when I go to my parents. I go to you know I'll be seeing my dad tomorrow, and I look in the fridge, and he'll say, "What are you 
what are you after? I say, I don't know, but I'll know when I find it. I, like, I don't really know what I'm after, but so it's very hard to say, this is the thing that I want right now. I'm looking for something that stands out to me and, and I think is brilliant. And okay, but, but, but let's, okay, but now uh, we're gonna get to the nitty gritty. You're a Jewish publisher looking for Jewish thieves. So right. no matter how good a book is, you're not going to publish it uh, if it's about Napoleon, unless Napoleon was Jewish. Um, that is true at the moment, Mel. But my big kind of caveat is that that's at the moment. There are, there are a couple of things that I've seen that are so good that I'm sorely, that I may be taking those on and going beyond my niche the problem sorry i say niche i think you say niche i, I can't how do you say it in the states i can't remember how you... I, I i don't say either okay fine so it, but once i go beyond my nice little specialist area i'm competing against harper collins walker nosy crow and and i like having my specialist area in the same way that my dad carved out military history as his specialist area and it's a nice niche to be in i'm i'm sticking at the moment i'm largely sticking with just that jewish children's bit that doesn't mean that they don't contain stories or moral lessons or history that won't be interesting to other people i mean frankly they're you know there's pretty light jewish content in some of them michael this is so so look so we're looking for we're looking for illustrators down the line we're looking for good stories um that you won't find in any fridge except your father's um and we're looking for jewish themes uh does it have to be a jewish author no i um it's a very interesting question and that that opens the door or pandora's box of the whole own voices debate um as it happens Within the next two weeks, I'm sending to the printer, uh, it's 99% finished, I'm sending a book about Eric Weiss, Eric Weiss, who is better known as? Houdini. Houdini, Harry Houdini, Jewish, born in Hungary, um, changed his name uh, as an homage to a, a French magician, that's a whole other story, but the book is illustrated by a fabulous Spanish artist, Laura Catalan, who is not Jewish, it's written by Judy Carpenter, who is someone I used to work with on a newspaper who is not Jewish. So um, the majority of things that I am publishing are written or illustrated by someone Jewish because people tend to write about what they know and, and illustrate what they know as well. Um, and frankly, it's helpful if they have that background, if they have some background knowledge. But but no, I mean this. In fact, this is the second book I've done with the this illustrator, Laura Catalan. Yeah. Um, hey, you you forget that you sent me the PDFs of that book. Ah, and, I did. Oh, of the Houdini book. Yes, and it's ah, brilliant. Okay. It's it's brilliant. Good, and it folds out to you know yeah. twelve feet wide on both sides, so you can't even read it in one room. You have to stretch it across your landing or whatever lay the full thing out so 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 michael do you like sometimes you take uh, books of pj library in the states right when you say take the books what i pj Li license them for the uk or they take your books they take my books and i will print for them mm -hmm. but then here you, you're gonna you're gonna have a little reach here because it's a brilliant story but 
Um, there's there's no Yiddishkeit in the story other than Harry Houdini's being Jewish. Correct. Correct. There's, I mean, it's... and I, I I applaud you for this. I mean, you know, you and I have, have talked about this. Um, it's very hard to get away from these um, written for, written to an audience, written about a holiday. Um, and as authors, we often bridle when you know there's an opportunity. Passover is very. Well, what are you going to write about? You know, the the matzah who uh, who wanted to be a uh, physician. I mean, it's like. We, we, yeah, Mel, we've spoken about this before, and it's it's. I mean, it's fascinating. the 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 PJ Library is a re incredible charity that has had a. I don't think that this is controversial to say it's had a bigger impact than anything else ever has had on Jewish pub, pub children's book publishing because they are buying millions of books and sending them out. In different languages around the world, and it—it's wonderful. It—it's created an industry. Suddenly, someone is buying, you know, millions of pickles. So they need pickle manufacturers or growers. So that's wonderful. But you know, as we said, there is this—it's difficult to reverse engineer creativity to say, ah, we're coming up to the Chagim. Let oh, we need a we need another Yom Kippur book. Let's make it. Let's um let's have some gefilte fish in this. It's very hard to. to and, and the gefilte fish before Yom Kippur. Gefilte, sorry, sorry. Not not the, necessarily during, right? Sorry, or oh, to break the fast, whichever, whatever your your minhag is, that's that's fine by me. Um, well, I got it, I got it. The reverse engineering. The gefilte fish wanted to go back to being a carp. <laughs> so it's a double reverse engineering. Yep, that's a double double. Hmm. I, I have to tell you, I. I met uh, an author a few weeks ago, and we got sucked into the uh, chat GBT conversation, which I hadn't I hadn't played with before. And when I got home, I typed in to chat GBT my first experiment. I said, "Right, Eric Kimmel is a an, an author who I who I think is fabulous, and he is the judge on a um, an award that I've set up for Jewish children's book writing." And I put into chat GBT in the style of Eric Kimmel, write a Jewish children's story, less than a thousand words, set on Rosh Hashanah that involves gefilte fish and has a twist at the end of the story. And lo and behold, ChatGBT spews out 800 words on a gefilte fish that comes to life. I haven't dared send it to Eric Kimmel yet, but I don't think Eric Kimmel will be very impressed with it. And certainly, you couldn't publish. You, it's. I mean, it's it's incredible what ChatGPT can do. But we've got a while of of real authors before we graduate to AI. That's uh, brilliant. So um, let's uh, now talk about your uh, flow. How many uh, manuscripts do you see a month, and how many would you like to see? I'm. Still there, there, there's a there's a reason I'm I'm asking you this question. Sure. So so I'm I'm still publishing. Um, military history books. And what I found interesting is that um, although I've been doing military history books for 25 years, I probably only get two or three unsolicited submissions every month for the military history books. For the children's books, and I'm very new to, I'm wet around the years, you know, for this. Um, I've only been doing these children's books six or seven years. I would say that every single day, I get at least 
one submission, at least one submission. Now they're they're shorter, um, but every time you have a message, it's you know it's uh, it, you know I like to reply to everyone personally. I like to reply to everyone, you know, within I'll acknowledge, and then it might take me three to four weeks to actually read their submission and and circulate it if I need to to editors and sales. So the quantity of children's book submissions that comes through is huge is off the charts i would say does uh, that yeah does that that yeah that was i remember well, off, off the charts is like 50 a month yes i'd say that's about right okay so in the okay so here here now's the the point that i want to make um in the united states for general manuscripts okay um a book is published a traditionally published book for every between one and 5,000 manuscripts. That's the ratio. So my advice to you, because you wrote to me that you spend a lot of time going over each manuscript and, and writing and, um, but if you, if you want to find that giving tree of Yiddishkeit, um, you might have to go over thousands of, of, uh, of manuscripts the way they do in the States. Yeah, I've, I, I've already had a couple of books that, um, the manuscript was sent to me. It, this has hap happened more with the history books that I do. I've had a few books. I can even uh, possibly, it would take too long, but I, I have on my shelves the books that I remember when the manuscripts landed on my desk. And within a couple of hours, I thought, this is brilliant. We, you know, we don't need to do much to it. It's perfect. But it's very rare that happens. And, and I'll tell you, I don't think I've told you this before, Mel, I live in, in fear because of what happened to my dad about, it must be at least 30 years ago. Um, my dad was sent a manuscript. Um, it was, my dad was publishing nonfiction and this was fiction and it was set in the Cold War. And it was a story about a submarine. And my dad read it and thought it was actually pretty good. But he wrote to the guy, the author, Tom, the guy called Tom and, um, it's like the pickles cucumber. He said to the, to the guy, "Look, this is very nice. You're clearly, you know, you, you're you're quite good, but this is not the kind of thing I do. So I'm not the right publisher. Speak to the Naval Institute Press. Speak to Kevin Epley and um, Sutton. Tom Sutton was it? Tom Sutton? I can't remember. So my dad was the man who rejected the Hunt for the Red October by Tom Clancy, which sold many millions of copies and then they did the film with Sean Connery with his terrible Russian Scottish accent and then it sold <laughs> a few million more copies and that's the book that my dad thought was not bad but probably not one for him to do so I live in fear that I'm rejecting the next Tom Clancy or the next JK Rowling so I have to spend time on everything. Wow so uh, how much fun is this for you and how much work is it? Because I, you've also written a couple of books yourself. So is it more fun writing? Is it more fun running the business? I, I think it being a writer is terrible. It's not, well, no, no, sorry. It, no, I, I um, have the, uh, the unique kind of position of being able to write something and then publish it. So the, the negotiations were quite easy with myself. Um, and but, you said you, you on Friday night, right? <laughs> you, you yeah, yeah, I was like schizophrenic. Kind of, so, no, I, um, 
I am proud of every book that I publish. I, I, I could publish triple the number of books, but I like to be personally involved with every book. And I'm proud of the books that I, you know, I've made a few mistakes, but I'm proud of the books that I do. And, and I like it, you know, every, whatever, every few weeks, the doorbell goes and I've got a courier delivery of the new book and I love it. But the difference between that and I've, I've now, I've published almost a thousand books over 25 years, but the difference of just publishing a book and where you're thanked in the acknowledgements or my name is kind of hidden somewhere. But when you see your name on the front cover of a book, that's a real thrill. That's a real buzz. Even if no one in the world is ever going to buy the book, it's still wonderful seeing your name on the front of a book. So and I show us that. one. Show us one of your books. I can show you. Ah, uh, oh, I'll be. I'll. I will show you the Chocolate King in Portuguese. For me, how wonderful to see my book translated into Portuguese. Um, and I. I think this book, this book is the is about the Jewish uh, the Jewish king of chocolate. Well, I discovered by accident that the Jewish community has been involved in the international chocolate trade for hundreds of years. It played a key role, and I thought this is a great subject for a for a book because the, the, the truth is I eat I'm a chocolate I eat chocolate most days of the week. You know, a little bit or a lot. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll eat a lot. And most, a lot of people eat chocolate. The majority of people though, certainly in Europe, have never touched a cocoa pod in their lives. And they couldn't even tell you where chocolate, you know, we know where milk comes from. We know the process. Most people don't understand the chocolate process. And I thought, this is great. There's a great Jewish story. There's this whole idea that Christopher Columbus was Jewish or had Jewish funders, which is certainly true. He was, probably the first European to taste chocolate, to taste hot, well, hot chocolate, not the solid chocolate. So, sorry, I'm waffling on, but I, um, yes, I wrote a book about that. And then I, I, I also published a, um, a Jewish chocolate cookbook as my lockdown ridiculous endeavor, uh, 50 Jewish chocolate recipes from around the world. So I wrote the introduction to that, but I, I didn't write anything beyond that. But you, you have a cookbook that's done really well. Yeah, it's really annoying that I've been publishing for 25 years. And then the one book that I have to reprint three times is a cookbook. Um, Jewish Flavors of Italy is this um, incredible compendium of, of recipes. I, I finished the chocolate book. I sat down with a brilliant Jewish Italian cook that is a friend. And I said, never, never, never am I publishing another cookbook. I thought children's books were hard. Cookbooks are even worse. I'm never doing another cookbook as long as I live. Over my dead body will I publish another cookbook. And my friend Sylvia said, would you publish mine? And I went, yes, of course I would. I'd love to do it. <laughs> so a year, well, two years later, the, her cookbook is out. It's, um, it's sold so well. I'm really feeling kind of stupid that I haven't done more cookbooks over the last 25 years, but but they are a lot of work. And uh, you're also into music and you're also into um, a generous philanthropy. A few words on those, please. Um, I'm not sure if I would say generous, but I would, <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a kind word. Um, I, have, I, I have a policy that I will print one, um, I'm a commercial publisher, I need to cover my cost, but I will do one book a year that's for charity where 
Um, I will not make any profit whatsoever. I, I, I will cover costs of external um, freelancers, but, but I'll, I'll do at least one thing a year where all the money, all the profits, all the royalties will go to whichever charity it is. And I try and advise um, charities on publishing on publishing books so many charities have the idea or schools or hospitals so many people come up with the idea of a lot do cookbooks but so many people do fundraising books and it's really hard it's complicated and and frankly I've done a thousand books you know I, I'm, I'm not a genius but I I have an idea about how the book world works so I try and do it but um but but at the moment it's only one book a year man i'm not i'm not that generous okay but you've raised a lot of money for charity and uh and for buying food and that's well, great I did, I did um the first one i did was a book raising money for parkinson's uk for um a friend of mine had parkinson's and then the the chocolate cook actually the chocolate cookbook was more successful the chocolate cookbook thus far has raised almost twenty thousand pounds for high cancer care which is a uh, a cancer charity that's very close to my heart that gave my my late mum some and me some support I'm still having support from them so I I I've worked with different charities um years ago sorry well, this is like psycho uh, analysis but years ago Mel I used to work for charities and I remember when I was oh about 19 years old my dad said to me you don't need to work for a charity to do charitable work you can become skilled at whatever field and then use those skills so i got bored of working for charities but i that was one of that was one of the great bits of advice my dad gave me so um, how how old are the kids now michael they are 10 and 8 years old so they have outgrown my illustrated books, but they are now reading some of the mid-grade books that I've done. Wonderful. So, wonderful like, so 20 years from now, one of your kids, Friday night, after kiddish, you know, and you light the candles, he puts an envelope on your table. He says, Dad, I, what happens then? That now that if Mel, if I'm totally honest, it like when you present it like that. It fills my heart. You can probably see my heart jumping out of my chest. It fills my heart with joy, the idea, the excitement of that. And on our recent holiday, I stopped into a print works and it was wonderful to show the kids, look, here's the paper, these massive, massive tree trunk rolls of paper. You can see the paper go all through the factory. You can see it get printed as it gets. And it was wonderful trying to inspire them. In practice, however, I know that working with family members can be very difficult. And I remember, I mean, I remember the Friday night presenting my dad with, uh, with my resume, but I also remember discussing whether we were going to do a certain book on the SAS or Mossad and my dad said no, and I said, right. Well, in that case, I'm not coming for Friday night dinner. So it, working with families, there are ups and downs. I mean, you can trust family members. Sometimes you can trust family members more than anyone, but you can also get more aggravated by family members than anyone else. So there are pros and cons, but um, I, it would it would be wonderful. I would be over the moon. I think if either of my sons wanted 
to join me in publishing. They have, I, I'm not sure if I should be proud or not, Mel, of raising these, these two boys, because when I say to them, look, I'm doing this new book, do you wanna help? Their first question is, what royalty will you give us? Yeah. And I'm thinking, where did these capitalist kids come from? I like, you know, what about just doing it for love and for fun? No, we want a royalty, we want 5%. I mean, they don't have an agent yet, but they, they're getting there. Oh, so now the world has gotten to know uh, Michael Leventhal. Uh, you are a, uh, a wonderful guy um, and you're in a difficult business. And, um, you know, uh, authors, um, as you know, uh, there are millions of people writing uh, children's books and, uh, and very few of them get published. And um, I wish, like, uh, I wish I had to wait to help the 999 authors, some of which are splendid, who never get a publishing deal because they don't surface, um, they don't write on the themes that the publishers are interested in. Um, they are not the right category of people. Um, these are the people I would like to help. But, but let's get back now to, to you and your sage advice for us, the authors. We, we the, the uh, minnows who uh, write picture books hoping to become the one that you choose to write an unsolicited picture book in 2025. Um, I, I'll, I've got to think on my feet or, or whatever, but um, I mean, the first thing I'll say is that there are at least a third of the submissions I get are obviously not right for me because they're writing about pearl fishing techniques in the Azores and and anyone can, you know, it's it's I can immediately say, look, I don't publish this sort of book. Please try, you know, just what my advice is, you walk into Waterstones or Barnes Noble, see who's publishing that sort of book and write to that publisher. But so clearly, I get the wrong submissions and that wastes the author's time. It wastes my, it's just, there's, that's, there's one thing. The second thing is I am amazed and I'm 50 years old and I, I'm not sure if um, times have changed, but I am astonished at how many people write to me at green bean books and they spell green or bean wrong, or they spell my name wrongly. And, it's not that I'm pedantic, but I think if they can't get that right, then then I'm nervous. You know, a writer should be, you know, I mean, it's more important for the history books because I think, wow, someone's writing a history of the Battle of Auschwitz and they can't get my name correct. How, you know, I can't well, take the or, 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 they, or they spell Auschwitz wrong. Yeah. I mean, it's for me, that's it's almost it's almost an, an automatic disqualification of someone and every well not every but most publishers have their submission guidelines and and I like it if someone writes to me and says dear Michael dear Miss Lemonthal I've looked at your website I bought a copy of that book I love it this is what I've done you know I'd welcome any feedback that shows that Someone hasn't sent the manuscript to fifty other people. They know what I do. They've checked. Mm -hmm. They like pa it's 
But, but hang on. Is it okay to address you as Michael when, when people query you? People call me, I, I prefer that people call me Michael or Mr. Leventhal because it shows they've, they've checked, they, they've done a cursory check. They're not- okay, but there, there, There's another strange thing that uh, I'm going to mention. Um, and that is that on your website, you almost insist that people send manuscripts to you, which they have not shopped around at all. And um, why is that? Why, why do you care if somebody sent it to a couple of uh, agents or, I or always, publishers? I always want to know because I need to know if it's already on active submission elsewhere. The reason is that I, I am getting at least 400 manuscripts every year. And, and it takes me a while. You know, if, if uh, someone's listening and they send me something today and I then read it in two weeks and I spend a few hours looking at something and then I discuss it with some of my editors or, you know, mm -hmm. sales department. And I, I devote time to that. And then I write back to the author and I say, good news. You know, this is, I really want to do this. They say, oh yeah, I, sorry, we didn't tell you. We, we signed up with someone three weeks ago. I think, well, it's, I, I, I don't have the time. No, but it, 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 isn't it like, like, I mean, um, isn't it like dating? You say, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm only going to date you if you've never been on a date before. Michael, people are submitting things all the time. Um, yeah, you, 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 you might miss the Tom Clancy book. <laughs> I, but I would, if if I'm getting in um, submissions, and someone says, you know, also it's establishing trust in a relationship as well. So if someone says, look, it's already out with these with these people, then then I'll still look at it, but it's not going to be my top priority to look at it. Because there are other people that would say, yeah, sure, you can look at this exclusively for a couple of weeks and then I'm going to shop it around. Fine. I'm happy for you to do that. Um, so well, what if the book has been, been rejected and somebody sent it to you? They've sent it to Car Carbon or Kalaniot or PJ or Random that, House. I think that's absolutely fine because different publishers are looking for different things. But it's also part of kind of building a relationship with an author and just having an open. I, I'm always very open. If an author says, you know, how many copies are you going to sell? There's no, you know, I'll be 100% honest because they're going to find out in due course anyway. And and why not? I, I've seen more articles actually in the trade press um, that seem to kind of set authors and publishers up almost as enemies and and agents are kind of the the guys in the middle trying to level the playing field the truth is that everyone is out for the same thing that you want to sell books you want to sell you know the more books i sell the better for my authors so i regard us as not being in competition you want a nice relationship with an author from the word go um you you know everyone is busy you know it's a hectic world you want to work with people that you get on with. You're like you're not getting married to someone, but mm -hmm. uh, last, last, last question because um, I don't know if you know uh, uh, Anna Olswanger. Uh, yes, wonderful, I do. What wonderful agent? Yes, yeah, yes, was, yes. I'm in touch with Anna. Yeah, I've been yeah, in touch. So, with her. so, so and give her my love. So she she was uh, uh, on the interview a few months ago, and she uh, expressed her preference to work with dead people. <laughs> well, but I. <laughs> Well, there's a category of dead people. There's the, the people like Theodore Dodge that have been dead for hundreds of years and therefore don't get royalties 
and don't object to anything. Um, there's also the people who died less than 75 years ago and are still in copyright and their children or, or their literary states can be fiercely protective and say, you are not changing that word. That is the way my mother wanted that word. You are not changing that word. But so, I mean, look, it, I mean, look, jokingly, yes, the best authors are authors that have been dead for 2000 years. But this is, look, tonight I'm going out for dinner with the, with the author of the Houdini book. And dead authors don't tend to promote themselves very well, you know, on social media. No, I want- So, I, so, so, so your best advice to authors is, uh, is to stay healthy. <laughs> it's to stay healthy, keep doing what they're doing. And, and I, um, coming back to Jewish children's books, the main aim I think is not to educate children about a particular thing. The main aim is to engage them and enthuse them. You want children to read a book, not just once. You want them to love the book so much that the, for the words and the text that they're reading it again and again. You want something that's fun that children like. If it imparts a moral lesson at the same time, if it teaches them something about Rosh Hashanah, Sukkot, Sadaka, Tikkun Olam, great. But the main aim, I want to be able to see my kids, well, now they're kind of beyond the picture book, I want them to be excited. I want them to enjoy what they're reading and them to be saying, please read it again. We love and join in. I want them to enjoy what they're doing and get excited about reading and writing as well. So, it's so, so um, this is a, a great, uh, a great place to, um, to uh, start to end our wonderful interview. Um, because uh, it's it, in essence, you want the impossible. Um, you want a book that has morals and yet it doesn't weigh heavy <laughs> on the morals. Uh, you want a book about a Jewish holiday, but that is not necessarily about the holiday. Uh, and, and why am I saying the impossible? Because when you look at the, the incredible books of our childhood, um, it is impossible being brought to life. So that's, that's essentially what we want to do, right? We want to make the impossible happen. And, and, and I just say, and, and I just, I, I have to tell this terrible pun. Uh, I've been waiting for 45 minutes. Your Houdini book is magical. All right. Thank you. I mean, the, the Houdini book. No, but it, it really is. And I can see this as a real crossover book. And well, next, so, so next March will be the um, 150th anniversary of Houdini's birth. So I think there, there's going to be some excitement, but I wanted to create a book that was was magical because a seven-year-old reader they don't know who harry houdini is they don't bring anything to it so the format of the book is magical in fact just today i can't show it to you right now but just today i got the end page. i like to add nice flourishes so we've got lovely end papers that has uh, houdini's um bantam chicken called banjo it's just banjo in about 60 different poses and and he's sitting behind he's got some handcuffs and a key behind him in one because you know this is true Houdini had a, a chicken that whistled when he came so yeah I'm trying am I trying no I don't think I'm trying to do the impossible Mel that's a bit unfair um I'm open to to all brilliant no, but Michael I think that you should be trying to do the impossible 
I think it's look the last. Sorry, Mel. I know. Sorry, the clock's running. I'm sorry. I know we're out of time, but no, am, it, it, it's okay. We're not. We're not in a dire situation. We can go on for a few minutes. I am. I've I've published eight hundred books about Napoleon and Hitler, and it's very refreshing to not have to do that and to think. Let's do a Harry Houdini book that folds out twelve feet wide. I'm publishing this book. This is my Shabbat in November. It's as far as I know. It's the first children's book, not just Jewish children's book. It's the first children's book. And every copy in the trade will have Braille throughout the book. It wow. will, we're printing it. Normally the charities here take a book, they rip the spine off, they splice in Braille for blind or visually impaired children, and they rebind it. And it's horrible. It's a spiral bound thing. But this story is not about uh, someone someone's blindness a child just happens to be blind so we've got braille so it will be accessible to that community there will be thousands of books with braille thousands of children and families parents grandparents will feel braille for the first time in a book and it's kind of fun trying new impossible things and making them happen so that's that's what i was saying all along it's make the impossible. That can be my make, new strap line. Making the impossible happen. From the chief bean. You heard it here first. Incredible. So, um, Michael, I hope that we uh, go on and that you sprout a lot of wonderful beans. Thank uh, you. Ma magic, magical beans. Um, so uh, we have to close, but I'll be in touch because this was wonderful. And, um, yeah, so my name is Mel Rosenberg. I remember that. And I am the host of the Children's Literature Channel of the New Books Network, uh, which has graciously allowed me to interview the wonderful publisher, Michael Leventhal. It's been a wonderful, wonderful 49 minutes with you. Uh, and um, so, um, so much fun. I hope the audience had such a great time. Uh, and to all of our uh, Jewish uh, watchers and listeners, uh, have a uh, very um, happy Jewish New Year, Shana Tova. And uh, to everybody else, uh, have a wonderful, uh, wonderful. Have a wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you. Very, thank. I've very much enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. I hope I've answered the questions. That, you know, but thank oh, you. Yeah. I've, enjoyed, I've enjoyed that. Many conversations. Michael, you, you don't have to answer all the questions. You know, um, I can have you on again next year. If Fine. Okay, time. we'll make it a date. If, if, if they don't fire me. Shalatova. Shalatova. From, from London to your shores. Goodbye.